The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how candy corn went from a year-round candy marketed at farmers to the love-to-hate-it Halloween treat it is today. Plus, a new interactive image gallery that starkly shows what effects three degrees of global warming will have on coastal cities around the world. And in 10 years, one of the biggest comets ever recorded will be passing by Earth. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So maybe you've seen online, or possibly even in real life, at the grocery store, Brock's, the top purveyor of candy corn in the U.S., has released a turkey dinner blend of candy corn. Looks like something out of a retro-futurist menu for the 21st century. Now, this is their second year getting in on the Thanksgiving market. Last year, they released a bag that had candy corns colored and flavored like roasted turkey, green beans, cranberry sauce, stuffing, glazed carrots, and sweet potato pie. This year, the carrots and sweet potato pie have been replaced with coffee and apple pie. Now, if part of your reaction, after fascination and maybe disgust, was that Brock's needs to stay in their lane, they've got the Halloween market, stop trying to branch out to other holidays, well, then you may be intrigued to discover that candy corn was not originally a candy made exclusively for or sold just during Halloween. In fact, it wasn't originally called candy corn at all. The exact origins are murky, but the candy is usually thought to have been invented by George Renninger of the Philadelphia-based Wonderly Candy Company, probably sometime in the 1880s. In 1898, his recipe started being produced by the Golitz Confectionery Company, which would later become the much more well-known to us, Jelly Belly. And back then, it was called Chicken Feed. That's right, candy corn was originally called chicken feed, sometimes even had a rooster on the front of the box. Pretty strong argument for anyone who says candy corn barely tastes like human food, let alone a delicious candy. Quoting National Geographic, As chicken feed, candy corn was intended to appeal to Americans' largely agricultural roots. At the turn of the 20th century, the country was still largely rural, and about half the nation's labor force lived on farms. Confectioners, hoping to tie in the farm and harvest spirit, also turned out candy pumpkins, turnips, chestnuts, and clover leaves. The original candy corn was touted as a treat to be eaten all year round. End quote. And one important thing to point out here, too, is that while variations on trick-or-treating have happened across cultures for centuries, we didn't have trick-or-treating as we recognize it today. Children going door-to-door in costume, asking for candy, and not seriously threatening any consequences if they don't get it. Until after World War II. 
and for which you can largely thank Huey, Dewey, and Louie's 1952 trick-or-treat special with Donald Duck. Yes, it truly is Disney's world, we're just living in it. But in the first half of the 20th century, kids' adventures on All Hallows' Eve were much more mischievous. Think the Halloween scene in Meet Me in St. Louis. And even when it wasn't, homemade snacks were more common offerings than candy. Also, in an interesting throwback to the turkey dinner candy corn, in at least New York City, between the wars, costumed trick-or-treating of a sort happened on Thanksgiving, not on Halloween. But anyways, yes, candy corn, or excuse me, chicken feed, was a popular treat year-round. Now, why was it so popular? I mean, it can't just have been the clever marketing to agricultural families— Samira Kawash, author of Candy, A Century of Panic and Pleasure, wrote in The Atlantic in 2010, quote, The real innovation in candy corn was the layering of three colors. This made it taxing to produce. All those colors had to be layered by hand in those days. But the bright, layered colors also made the candy novel and visually exciting, end quote. Visually exciting, yes, but as Kawash says, a huge effort to make. Here's how the process worked, quoting from the National Confectioners Association. In the 1900s, many men needed to work together to produce candy corn. Sugar, corn syrup, and other ingredients were cooked into a slurry in large kettles. Fondant and marshmallow were added to give a smooth texture and bite, and 45 pounds of warm candy was poured into buckets called runners. Men, called stringers, walked backwards, pouring the candy into cornstarch trays imprinted with the kernel shape. It took three passes to make the white, yellow, and orange colors. Originally, it was delivered by wagon in wooden boxes, tubs, and cartons. The process of making candy corn is very similar today, but now machines do much of the work. Manufacturers use a cornstarch molding process in which kernel-shaped depressions are made in a tray of cornstarch. Candy corn is made from tip to tip in three color passes. First, the depression is filled with partially set white candy, known as mellow cream. Next, the orange mellow cream is added. The mold is then finished by adding the yellow mellow cream, and the entire candy is cooled. After it's finished cooling, the trays are emptied and a confectioner's glaze is added to make the kernels a little shiny. At last, the little candy corns are ready to be eaten. End quote. And if you want to see the process in action, I put a link in the show notes to an old 2008 Food Network special showing the making of candy corn. But on that confectioner's glaze, you may have heard before that confectioner's glaze is made from bug secretions, which is true. It's technically just shellac, the same thing used to varnish furniture, only in very small amounts. Quoting McGill University, This varnish, or shellac, is the resinous exudate produced by the female Indian lacbug, an insect that spends its whole life attached to a tree, sucking its sap and converting it into the familiar sticky substance that has long been used to provide a glossy protective coating on wood. It takes about 100,000 insects to produce a pound of red-tinged resin. End quote. And that resin is coating your candy corn. But not just your candy corn. Also, jelly beans, chocolate mints, all kinds of candies, and even some ice cream cones and pills. It's everywhere. And while scarebait headlines every year like to warn about the horrors of bug secretions and Halloween candy, there's never been an actual cause for concern. It's recognized as safe by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, although it's not vegan, since, you know, it's technically an animal product. So look out for confectioner's sugar as an ingredient if you're sticking to a plant-based diet. But speaking of plant-based diets, back to corn. 
Quoting from Kawash in The Atlantic, The thing is, corn wasn't something Americans ate much of before World War I. There were no sweet hybrids in those days. Corn was coarse and cheap and not very tasty, good for pigs and chickens. It wasn't until wartime wheat shortages in 1917 that any but the poorest Americans would have considered corn flour, cornmeal, or cornbread acceptable foodstuffs. Candy corn, on the other hand, quickly became one of America's favorite treats. End quote. Kawash also pulled some print advertisements from the 50s describing candy corn as a summertime candy, or in another as the candy all children love to nibble on all year long. So when did it go from being a penny candy favorite and staple made by all candy companies shared during all holidays to a flagship product for Halloween produced by only two national companies? Kawash says it began in the 50s. Candy corn, with its colors and corn shape evocative of the fall harvest, did always have strong autumnal undertones. Combined with the lifting of wartime sugar rationing increasing all candy production, and companies starting to offer trick-or-treat-sized products, and the low cost of candy corn specifically, all Jelly Belly had to do was fan the already growing flame for candy corn. They increased their advertising during October by a huge amount, and, well, as marketers do, we shall follow. People from there just started associating candy corn more and more with the season and with Halloween, and we've never really gone back from there. Except for attempts from Brock's and Jelly Belly to create seasonal versions of the treat, except unlike how in the early 1900s it would have been the same product marketed differently, now they make completely different products. Still candy corn, but in pastels for Easter, red and green for Christmas, and pink for Valentine's Day, and yes, Thanksgiving dinner. Unless you think no one is actually buying candy corn these days, according to the National Confectioners Association, over 35 million pounds, or 9 billion kernels, worth of candy corn are produced every single year. And if after all of that, you're thinking you maybe want to give candy corn a try, despite having never enjoyed it in recent memory, here are a couple of tips from Lifehacker. First, most candy corn aficionados seem to swear by Brock's over Jelly Belly. Apparently, they add salt to the recipe, and it really helps the overall flavor profile. You can also try mixing the candy corn with salted or honey-roasted peanuts. This seems to be a southern tradition, maybe started in Virginia, and lots of candy corn haters have been converted by pairing them with salted peanuts. Some say that it tastes kind of like a Butterfingers. So give it a shot if you want, or you can continue thinking of candy corn as, as Kate Wilski described it in Eater, the Nickelback of Halloween. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania. Must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG.
If during your darker moments of reckoning, you've ever wondered what particular parts of the world might look like a century or so from now, given everything we keep hearing about rising sea levels, now you can take a look. Nonprofit advocacy group Climate Central just published an interactive map and interactive image gallery, which depicts the results of various degrees of increased global warming in over 100 coastal cities in 39 countries. The visuals accompany new research also published today from Climate Central in conjunction with Princeton, Potsdam, and Columbia. And most of the visuals on the site have sliders so that you can adjust two different points of warming to compare with each other. By default, they're set to 1.5 degrees Celsius and 3 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, those two hallmark numbers we keep hearing about. Quoting The Verge, Even one and a half degrees Celsius of warming will expose more people around the world to disastrous flooding, but it's considered a sort of best-case scenario for limiting the effects of climate change. The world, unfortunately, is still on track to reach close to three degrees of warming in just 79 years. The renderings don't take into consideration how levees might be able to hold water back. The authors of the research write that city planners will need to defend against encroaching waters, end quote. And yes, while the renderings don't take into account all of those details, they make their point pretty clearly. Three degrees of warming gives the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art its own moat, and makes Havana look like, as The Verge put it, quote, straight out of the myth of Atlantis, end quote. And quoting further from The Verge, at least 10% of the global population lives on land that could be inundated at high tide with three degrees Celsius of warming, the researchers found. The risk isn't spread evenly. Many low-lying, small island nations could be completely swallowed up. Many Asian countries could be particularly hard hit. China, India, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Bangladesh have the biggest populations living in places that could one day be below the high tide line. Sea level rise is threatening not just our heritage, but also our future. Anders Leverman, one of the authors of the new research paper and a professor at Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, said in an email to The Verge, The pollution choices that nations make in the years to come will determine how much of the cities in which we live today can be preserved and where their next generations can safely live. And continuing from The Verge, while it could take centuries for sea levels to completely drown many places, the climate crisis is already causing big problems now. About a quarter of all critical infrastructure in the U.S. faces flood risk that could render them inoperable, according to a recent study by nonprofit research group First Street Foundation. End quote. And as this study's lead author Benjamin Strauss said to The Guardian, referencing the upcoming UN Climate Conference COP26, quote, The decisions that we make at Glasgow and the actions that we take this decade will ramify for hundreds and thousands of years. This group is going to be remembered for what they chose. Did you choose a thriving future with a livable climate, or did you choose to drown the coastal places of the world? End quote. Looking at the images in this gallery made me think maybe this is why they live in buildings on those giant sticks in the Jetsons. Like the sea levels rose so much that there isn't a ground anymore. Ugh. But on a slightly more uplifting, although also kind of bummer note, Google's AR Animals feature has added five new Arctic and sub-Arctic animals for you to virtually play with, although it added them to raise awareness of the fact that these Swedish critters are endangered. 
You can use the AR feature to get up close and personal with an arctic fox, a lynx, a white-backed woodpecker, a harbor porpoise, and a moss carter bee. Like other AR animals, all you have to do is Google the name of the animal on a mobile device and you'll see an option to meet a life-sized version of them. It's a feature that I stumbled on completely by accident early on in the pandemic, and I gotta say, it's pretty rad. They even have dinosaurs. You can put a T-Rex in your living room. Almost. It doesn't usually fit, but it's still cool. <laughs> so after you explore the visualizations about how our world is slowly drowning and reflect on these five endangered Swedish species, you can try to distract yourself with some AR bunny rabbits or something. Bernardinelli Bernstein. That's the name given to one of the largest comets ever studied with modern telescopes, named naturally after the two astronomers who spotted it and who published their findings in a paper published last month in the Astrophysical Journal Letters. In their paper, they call it the nearly spherical cow of comets due to its shape and enormous size. Quoting AV Club, At an estimated 60 to 100 miles wide, Bernadelli Bernstein dwarves its celestial comparisons like Haley Bop, which only measures a measly 37 miles across. It's pristine, University of Pennsylvania astronomer Pedro Bernardinelli explains of their beloved bovine comets. Not a lot has happened to this object since its formation in the early days of the solar system, and so we can think of it as a window into the past, end quote. Most comets that we've been able to study thus far have changed a lot over time, the Daily Beast points out. They were small and got fragmented, or like Icarus, they flew too close to the sun, which altered their chemistry. Neither has happened to this colossal comet yet, so scientists are very hopeful about what they could discover about the origins of the solar system through it. Although actually sending some kind of probe out there to study it seems like a tall order, National Geographic notes that space agencies could pull it off in time if a craft launches no later than 2029, but a lot of their budgets have already been set through the decade, so probably won't happen, but, quoting National Geographic, the good news is that Bernardadelli Bernstein gives the world's astronomers a rare luxury, time. The Viracy Rubin Observatory in Chile, set to come online in 2023, will be able to track the object for at least the next decade, if not longer. Along the way, the state-of-the-art telescope will transform our view of the solar system and likely uncover many more comets like Bernardadelli Bernstein." End quote. So even if a spacecraft doesn't go explore it, we'll be getting some cool images as it comes closer over the next decade before it hits its closest approach to the sun in 2031. Currently, it's 2.7 billion miles from the sun. That's 29 times further away than we are on Earth. When it's closest to the sun, the comet will be within a few billion miles of it still, a little further out than Saturn, but we'll still be able to see it, albeit with powerful telescopes, into the 40s or maybe even longer. Quoting once more from National Geographic, "...astronomers calculate that this comet takes millions of years to circle the sun." Only three such long-period comets have ever been discovered on their way in from the Oort cloud, and Bernadelli Bernstein was found when it was still more than 2.7 billion miles away, a record for a comet. Because it was discovered so early, a generation of astronomers will have the opportunity to unravel its mysteries. End quote.
Remember last month when I told you about NASA's Lucy mission that's going to be going out to Jupiter's Trojan asteroids? Well, the launch window for the spacecraft begins this Saturday, and so far they are planning liftoff for that morning. Coverage will begin on NASA's social media channels at 5 a.m. Eastern Time, although, of course, it will be years before we actually get any images back or anything, so this is not really a blink-and-you'll-miss-it situation, but still cool to follow along with nonetheless. That is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.